0: Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to Pure Grace. Again, relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. I'd like to welcome you once again to the guardians of grace podcast i'm here with brother bill and we're out to do yet another podcast on the idea of grace versus the idea of the human performance treadmill and trying to perform to please god have an awareness of how well you're doing in regard to how pleasing you are to him and to strive to do better, knowing, going by your conscience and what your conscience is telling you about the job you're doing for God versus, you know, the, the idea of living by grace and understanding that it's God who works through you to will and do His good pleasure, and He's working through you all the time. You're just vessels that manifest the Spirit of Christ, and He speaks and talks through you and does for you what you can't do for yourself, and that this is the new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied when he said, I'll make a new covenant with you, and I'll put my laws in your heart, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you'll experience me from the greatest to the least of you. You'll all experience me. That's our new covenant in which we live, where we literally have the privilege of experiencing God on earth in in our day-to-day life's experience. So we're here to pass around ideas about what it means to live in grace, and I want to let Bill, maybe he can give us a start, pick pick a topic and start us off. So Bill, what, what would you like to speak about?
1: I think just what you said, Steve, about knowing God, experiencing God, experiencing the Holy Spirit, knowing the Holy Spirit. And I'm using those two words, knowing and experiencing, because it turns out, in terms of the New Testament, the word gnosko, to know, is finds its way into Paul's prayers. Many, almost all of Paul's prayers have that word epi-ginosko. Epi being the word for superimpose, It's a preposition. And gnos- gnosko, meaning knowing or experiencing. The first time the word know is used in the Bible, We've talked about this a few times, but it's when Adam knew his wife. Getting to know this microphone a little bit. Is that better? Yeah. Okay. It says that Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived. So, we're talking about knowing as pretty intimate experiential word. You hear, as we were just watching television, I won't say who we were watching, but they came up with this word, and you hear it a lot, prioritize, prioritize. Your Christian faith is based on priorities, have the right priorities. Usually you'll have in terms of priorities are God first, family second, business third. The way you earn a living is third. So you, you have those three priorities. And that whole concept is not what the Christian life is is about. That is a outward religious practice prioritized. And the thing like Steve just mentioned, the uh, Jeremiah 31, 33, I believe it is, where God says to Israel, the days are coming, well, I will make a new covenant. And it will not be like the old covenant that they're under now where they prioritize and they have their priorities right god family business love the lord your god with all your heart all your mind all your strength that's priority one love your neighbor as yourself priority two this new covenant it says that in this new covenant i will put my laws it literally in the hebrew is i will put my torah or Instructions is an, another definition for Torah. I will put that, and it's literally inside of them, at their center. So this is a inside-out experience from your spirit working its way out, which is what the whole meaning of work out your salvation, your deliverance, with fear and trembling, and most people don't go on to quote the rest of it, for it is God who is at work. Inside of you same word. I will put my laws in, inside them I will put my instruction inside the, them and I will be their God and they will be my people And no longer will you have to outwardly teach people to know the Lord But from the inside out They will all know me from the least to the greatest So my idea Steve if you don't mind is maybe we can go to some passages Philippians three, where he lists his greatest priority. He says that if anyone has reason to put confidence in the flesh, meaning the outward man, mm-hmm. he says I have more confidence, and he lists his resume, so to speak. Where he says I was circumcised on the eighth day from tribe of Benjamin a hebrews of hebrews a pharisee meaning he was a educated scholarly jewish top of the follower food chain. Of top, top of the food chain top of his class and he learned from Gamaliel, which was the top professor apparently back in that day but he said i did all that and then he says as to outwardly keeping the law remember we're comparing outwardly and inwardly and that's what the two covenants are about one was an given to the flesh, the outward man, and one is given to the inner man, the spirit. And they work in two different ways. So he says, as to the outward man and the outward responsibility and the outward priority keeping, he says, I was faultless. And he said, so if anyone thinks they have reason to put confidence the way they outwardly perform, he said, I blow them away. I have more reason to put confidence in that but then he says but whatever was to my credit meaning working this outward system to the t which he did perfectly he said whatever was to my credit i consider it a loss for the sake of knowing christ then he says what's more i consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing christ jesus his lord for whose sake he's lost all things and can counts them as garbage now those things are not bad things they're things that we admire in people what he's saying is as good as they are when you compare them to the inward experience of living by the spirit they're garbage Does that make sense, Steve?
0: Yeah, so you're saying that word kind of throws us off when he says, I count them as garbage in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. In our modern-day translations, it would be experiencing Christ, because that's what the New Covenant was all, all about. God said, I'm going to let people experience me in the new covenant. You won't have to teach your brother how to experience me. You won't have to show people or tell people about experiencing God because God was going to allow people to experience him free of charge in the new covenant. And Paul's saying it's not that those other things had no value, but compared to the ultimate value of experiencing God, nothing compares. It's the most valuable commodity on this planet. The The idea that you can experience God when you're changing a flat tire or you're caught in the middle of a rainstorm, you can experience God and you'll experience literally heaven on earth because that's what it says in Romans 14, 17, that the, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but righteousness peace and joy in the holy spirit it means the kingdom of god is a feeling and when you're experiencing jesus manifesting himself through you you're actually experiencing the feelings that are generated in heaven you're feeling heaven on earth as god uses you to will, and do his good pleasure, whatever was according to his plan for Jesus to do through you. At the moment, Jesus is manifesting himself through you. You are experiencing him. Therefore, you're experiencing heaven on earth. Therefore, it's the most valuable commodity on this planet, because it's the most valuable thing to experience. There, there's no no such thing as diamonds and the value of the diamonds or any material things. The most valuable things on Earth are, are experiences and, and how you feel. Because you can have a brand new yacht and still feel depressed, and it doesn't do you any good. The, the most valuable thing on Earth is... is To feel righteousness, joy, and peace as you go through the day. Without that, it doesn't matter what commodity you have. It just doesn't matter. If it's not producing righteousness, peace, and joy, then it's like Paul said, I count it as a loss.
1: Yeah, you know, what's cool about it is uh, you don't have to go to seminary school. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to sit under someone that can instruct you and give you priorities in fact, in First John, uh, I think it's two twenty. He says that you need not any man teach you, because this anointing teaches you. And remember, when we went over Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-three, where it says, "No longer will a man teach his neighbor or teach his family to know the Lord; or they all shall know me, from the least to the greatest." Well, it's the same thing that he's saying here. You don't need to teach your neighbor this. This teaching comes from the inside out. Not when a man teaches you, it comes from the outside in. And it's it's directed at the outer man to obey, prioritize. But this new covenant comes from the inside out. And it says that this anointing teaches you to remain in him. To have your focus on Christ in you the hope of glory, your only hope of glory.
0: And not remain in your own human effort and determination. Like in John 14, he said, abide in me and I'll abide in you. That's what the Holy Spirit himself teaches you every day. Abide in God and in his power and not use your own human effort or determination or abide in in your own human effort or determination. Abide in the power and the life of Christ. Depend on it to manifest itself through you, and you will be the complete Christian,
1: blossoming in every way. Yeah, exactly, Steve. And back to what Paul said. He said, I want to know, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. Let's get a hold of this fact. Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians probably after he had been in ministry ministry 35 years give or take okay so he here's what he says I want to know him okay did he know him I mean by all counts in the Bible in the book of Acts he actually had a face-to-face meeting with Jesus so we could check that box as he know him right so that's done I know him, but he doesn't say that, does he? He says, no. I, want, I want to continue to know more of him. In fact, what he did know of him, which was
0: huge,
1: he wrote these epistles. That's how much he knew him, but he said, I want to know more of him, or I want to experience him more. Then he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection life. Did Paul know anything about the resurrection life of Christ? In Acts chapter 20, Paul was giving a sermon, so to speak. It says that this sermon started in the morning, continued through the day, into the night, and out about midnight, this guy named Eutychus was sitting in a window. I guess this guy, 20 hours of sitting under a message was his about all he could take the guy fell asleep and fell backwards and landed on the ground the second story and was dead and it's it says that paul went down laid on his body and brought the guy back to life and you know what they did steve he went back upstairs and he began where he or he continued where he left off preaching about how important it was to know him Now, we would have said, oh my gosh, this guy just got raised from the dead. Everything would have centered around that. But Paul, this is how big his priority was. He went in and continued to teach the value, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus is Lord, for whose sake he'd lost all things. So he did know something about the resurrection life and then he says i want to know him and the power of his resurrection and he wanted to know the fellowship of his suffering as if paul knew nothing about suffering you know how many times he got the 40 minus one five times what's that 245 yeah lashes that's a little bit of suffering he was beaten with the roman rods he was shipwrecked He knew what it was like to suffer. But what does he say? I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Why would he want to know the power of his resurrection? What is it? The power of his resurrection is what quickens your mortal body, Paul says in Romans, and gives it life. Resurrection life. When you're experiencing that life, you know what you're doing? You're knowing Christ that's why it's so important so our trials our harsh treatments sometimes that we go through end up being opportunities for his life to be manifested in other words they're giving us opportunities to know him we were talking about it the other day steve remember the woman with the issue of blood yes that same word yes mark
0: 529 go ahead in Mark five twenty nine, it talks about, and this is just just by way of giving a, a grammatical example of why we're saying it's the all surpassing value, the most valuable commodity is knowing Him. We're taking the liberty to say that it means experiencing Him. That's the way it was. The, the same Greek word was defined. In Mark five twenty nine, where it said the lady had a, an issue of blood, and she'd been bleeding for 10 years, and she touched Jesus, and her her issue of blood dried up. And it says she immediately, and most of the translations say, she immediately felt that she was healed. It's that same Greek word that is translated no here in Philippians. Okay. She immediately knew she was healed is equal to immediately feeling that she is healed. So when Paul is saying there's nothing that has a more surpassing value than knowing Christ, he, he's saying nothing has a more surpassing value than feeling Christ or experiencing Christ. It's the same way that it spoke about Adam and Eve and Abraham and Sarah. It's It said, Adam knew his wife, and she bore a child. In that context, it meant Adam became one flesh with his wife, that they felt each other, they experienced each other's body, and it produced a child. Well, in the Greek Septuagint, that's the same Greek word, and that's the meaning given to the word, just like that's the meaning, Mark five twenty nine. The idea of felt or experienced is the meaning of this same Greek word that we're looking at, and it gives us the idea of it being experiencing, which is the way in which Paul is using the word. Nothing has the same value as experiencing Christ, and the idea of just merely saying knowing christ which we all know about him and have learned about him and paul had learned about him more than anybody doesn't really do this passage justice it's the idea that they will all experience me from the least to the greatest that was the new covenant god said i'm going to make a new covenant in which you get to experience me that's what Paul says. I'm I'm in the new covenant and I'm experiencing God. And although I have all these credentials, I count them as rubbish, dung, literally cow dung is the, the Greek word that was used. I count it as cow dung compared to just getting a chance to experience Christ. That's what I'm my new addiction is, I want to experience Christ. And in our lives here in the 21st century, it should be our addiction too. It's it's the, the high of all highs is to experience Christ when he's moving and manifesting himself through us. It's literally, And we can show you the passages in the Bible where it's literally compared to feeling heaven on earth. The kingdom of God is not a matter of of eating, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Meaning when the Holy Spirit is using you and you're experiencing the Holy Spirit using you, you're filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. You couldn't be any happier. That's why this passage in Philippians is so important because it's telling us the most valuable like I said before commodity on this planet. Philippians chapter 3 is telling you what is the most invaluable most valuable ingredient commodity thing that that you can have on the planet and that's experiencing god manifesting himself through you and hopefully we do have that point clear that that's what we're talking about here in the philippians
1: passage we're getting close yes you know you just mentioned that he counted it all cow pies yes (laughs) that's the word you use yeah you know what i used to think of that steve I used to read it this is this is how I read it I want to know him I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord for whose sake I've lost all things and count them as cow hockey as you just said this is what I thought I count the things I'm counting loss were like the sins I was doing and, and so now what I need to do is count those as bad, unproductive things and stop sinning. And knowing Christ, I I define that as starting to toe the line, prioritize my Christianity, and start doing things that I'm supposed to do, like keeping the Ten Commandments and things like that. So it's not what he's talking about, is it? No. He's talking about that he's saying that Keeping the Ten Commandments, prioritizing that type of outward observance of God, following God. That's what he considered a loss. Yes. Not the sins. And I'll take it back to Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-three, where he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. Okay. Covenant speaks of relationship. You are in a marriage. The new covenant is a marriage covenant where we know each other we experience each other we experience christ that's exactly what paul said in ephesians he said for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and become united with his wife and they shall become one flesh then he blows our mind he says i'm not talking about the institute of marriage given back in the old covenant he's saying i'm talking about christ the church
0: I speak of a mystery but I'm talking about Christ in the church when he said a man shall leave his father and mother and become one flesh with the church he was saying I speak of a mystery about Christ becoming one flesh with us
1: that's exactly what he's talking that. profound mystery I'll profound add to mystery
0: that.
1: and then look at the end of that verse it's it says they all shall know me from the least to the greatest and this is important steve look what else he says he says and their sins and lawless deeds i will remember no more do you know it's impossible to experience the life of christ if you have on your memory your conscience your sins and lawless deeds your your focus is going to be on you and stop sinning and if to stop sinning is your priority for a Christian life, you know it'll never work. You don't you don't You don't ever stop sinning. You don't ever stop sinning. But, but we, get this fact. Jesus said their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's the first thing you have to have settled in your mind to experience Christ's life in you, to be in union with his life, to, to feel it, experience it, live by it, is you have to see that your sins and lawless deeds are remembered no more. It's the opposite of what it talks about in Hebrews 10, having a sin consciousness. He says that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin, and therefore, if they could have, then you would have no more conscience sin consciousness or being conscious being as a priority to stop sinning is a sin conscience and it's not part of the new covenant it's not part of the inward way this covenant works it was part of the outward way that those there was a reminder of sin year by year and they never knew God When Jesus came to earth, he said, you don't know me, and you don't know my father, and you've never known me, and you've never known my father. And then he tells Thomas, if you see me, you see the father. So to know Jesus is to know the father, to see Jesus and who he was, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin, not covers over And helps you work on them it he actually takes away the sin of the world once that once that sin consciousness is swept away from your mind you begin to have the mind of Christ and then you can begin to know him and experience him and then it becomes like Paul says the ultimate the the all-surpassing value the best of the best was in jesus words john the baptist the guy was a complete sellout to god is that right for Mm -hmm. god he had no sinful lifestyle outwardly he he had no financial hang-ups or anything his life was totally outwardly given to serving god but jesus said that of those among men born of women there was no one greater than John at this. No one greater than John. But the least in the kingdom is greater than John. Kind of means the same thing as I counted all loss compared to the surpassing value. John was the best, but he's the least in the new king. It means John was an awesome guy outwardly in the flesh. Just like Paul was the perfect Pharisee, the, the one everyone looked up to, that guy's got it all together. He serves God. He has the law as top priority. Everything he does is in service to God. He was arresting Christians, destroying them, trying... Every every moment of every day, Paul was out to destroy the Christianity because he thought it was an affront to serving God. And then he had this encounter with Jesus, and he said, Who are you? And he says, I am Jesus whom you persecute. And from that moment on... He began to know Christ and it built and built and built. So when he gets to Philippians after 30 some years in ministry, he's able to say, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering so that I might after 35 years of getting revelation about being caught up to paradise, seeing the third heaven saying, I still have not gotten enough of knowing Christ. I'm trying to go by my memory. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I, you look yeah. like you had a thought.
0: Yeah. I mean, let me just read what Paul is saying in Philippians 3. Paul starts out in, let's say, three six. He says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is in the law, I was found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ, for the sake of feeling Christ. More than that, I count all things lost in view of the surpassing value of experiencing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What does gain Christ mean? It means get a bigger dose of Christ to gain a bigger experience of Christ. Earlier in Philippians, Paul said, I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance for through your prayers and a supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ According to my expectations and hope, I won't be put to shame of in anything. He said a supply of the spirit of Christ. It's all saying the same thing. He wants to experience as he can to have the power of Christ within him, to have the life of Christ within him. And then he says, and so back to Philippians 3, 9, and I may be found in him meaning in his power, through his power working in you. He he says, "I I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, not a righteousness that I did by doing the Ten Commandments, but through the faithfulness of Christ and the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of that faithfulness. In other words, when God is faithful to work out his plan that he's had since the beginning of time, you experience him and, and you feel him working through you. And that's exactly what Paul is describing here. And he said, he goes on to say that I may experience him, that's verse 10, I may experience him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed into his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Do you, do you see how he's describing unbelievable power? The power to be raised from the dead is what Paul says I want to feel. I want to feel the literally the power to be able to raise people from the dead and the power to raise myself from the dead. That's how much Jesus I want to experience, not just his normal life and how he behaved on earth, but Paul wants these these gigantic miracles that Christ did. He wants to experience those and to experience what it's like when that much power of God is is generated through him. And then he says, in order that I attain the power of the resurrection, not that I've already attained or have already become perfect. He, he hasn't attained that high of a measure of experiencing Christ where he's just stone cold perfect. Christian or able to, to just raise the dead anytime he wants or anything like that. He, he he hasn't gotten to that level, but that's what he's pressing on towards. He says, not that I've already attained it or I've already become perfect, but I press on in order to lay hold of that which Christ laid hold of me for. He wants to lay hold of the power that Christ had for him because Christ laid hold of Paul, do you get that? Christ apprehended Paul and put his power in it and Paul felt it and experienced it. He felt Christ grab him and begin to use him as a vessel and he wants the highest calling of God for Christ to do. He wants to see all the power of all the miracles come through his body as Christ does his thing according to God's plan through Paul. He knows that Christ is in Paul, and he can experience Christ in Paul, and he can experience Christ manifesting himself through Paul, and he can experience Christ doing the eternal plan of God that carries out through the ages in each and every person on this earth. He works through each and every one of us. He works through us, and Paul wanted what Jesus had to do The ministry that Jesus had to do through Paul, he wanted it to be the hugest, biggest ministry on the planet. And he's saying, I press on towards the higher goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's hoping that God has called Christ Jesus to do amazing things through him mighty, mighty miracles through him is what he's hoping for. He's got a handle on what it means to have Christ in him. He knows why he was born again. He knows that the Spirit was placed in him so that the Spirit could keep ministering through him, just as it does you and I. And he knows that when he experiences the ministry of the Holy Spirit or Jesus through him, he experiences heaven on earth, and he's trying to give you the same mental image in this passage of understanding that that god has a calling to do and that you're going to get to experience everything that god has for jesus to do through you you get to experience and if jesus god has jesus doing a lot of ministry through you you're going to get to experience a lot of jesus ministering through you it's just such a fantastic thing to behold what he's writing about just the idea that God could have big things planned through us. And I believe he he does through me. I believe he does through Bill. I I think he has a big ministry in store for us. And I can't wait for that higher calling of God in Christ Jesus. Not that it's happened yet. We've been waiting for how many years, 30 years? But eventually it's gonna bust loose And the Spirit of God is going to do a worldwide global ministry and change the face of Christianity as we know it through Christ in Bill and I speaking the words that only Christ can speak, remembering the scriptures that only Christ can remember, and just flowing through us, the two vessels called Bill and Steve doing a podcast. I hope that it changes the world, and I believe that it will. But that's just an example of what it means to be this higher calling of God in Christ Jesus. It just means that God has a big plan for Christ to do through a particular individual. And the bigger the calling of Christ through that individual, the more that individual will manifest Christ, the more perfect he'll become and the more miraculous he'll become, the more, the stronger he'll become, he'll blossom and he'll feel the kingdom of God on earth more than anybody else. The, the more you feel Jesus, doing his ministry through you the more you feel heaven on earth so it's the, the, i hope you're getting a picture of why it paul says this is such a valuable thing to experience god it's what it, the christian life is about literally
1: yeah and i would add to that the more humble you'll become too oh yeah. because what you just said steve finishes the thought that paul had in two twelve, where he said um so i say work out your salvation with fear and trembling and how many times have you heard that? And they oh, leave off God. right there.
0: It just gags me. I've heard it so many times. They they never finish the sentence. They just stop in the middle of a sentence.
1: It's in the Bible. It is a sentence.
0: And the rest of the sentence tells it us such a, is a what we're talking thing. about. Yeah, that. it's what yeah. we're talking about. Go ahead and finish the sentence.
1: Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue. To work out your salvation with fear and trembling.
0: Okay, now finish the sentence because th- this is the good news of the gospel. There's more. The, the, yes, yeah, never heard it preached,
1: but there is more to that sentence. You know what, Steve? There's a there's actually a verse thirteen that follows verse twelve. Yes, and there's no period. No, there's after no 12. no comma meaning. Stay tuned for what's next. Yes. About to say 4. It is God who works in you to will, desire and to act to do to fulfill his good purpose.
0: You see what an incredible difference that is. One says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The other one says, if you're trying to work out your salvation, you should fear and trembling, tremble, because the fact of the matter is, God works in you. He does it. You don't, by human determination, fulfill the ministry of God. In your day-to-day walk, you're not the one who's doing it. If, if you think you're the one who's doing it, you should fear and tra- tremble because the truth of the matter is God works in you to will and do his good pleasure because he's doing it through Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. In Christ in you is doing his ministry through you, and he, you are willing to do it? and you are a doer of it, not just a forgetful hearer, but you're a doer of the ministry that God has through you. It's totally good news that's in Philippians 12 and 13, but we cut it in half and just give, make it sound like it is something we should dread, fear and tremble God. That's not what it's saying at all. That's not what it's saying at all. It's saying if you're using human determination you should fear and tremble because the truth of the matter is that god works in you to will and do his good pleasure it's telling you a deep mysterious truth god works in you to will and do his good pleasure your human determination does not actually do his good pleasure it fails it, although it tries hard it tries all
1: gave it a good try i do and what i don't want to do and
0: i don't do what i do want to do and i joyfully concur with the law i'm quoting Romans 7 agree with the law in in, in the inner man but i see a different law waging war in my members, making me prisoner to embarrassment and and shaming myself and falling short. That's me and my own human determination. But with a reliance on God's spirit to do it through me, see me and my own human determination should fear and tremble because I never get the job done. But if I'm relying on God to do it through me, then I don't have to fear and tremble because he just like it says in the beginning of Philippians at 1.6, it says, I'm convinced of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion. That Jesus who started to work in you and do his ministry through you on the day you were born again is going to continue that ministry perfectly in size and always be pleasing to god
1: yes steve you know it's it's like um what you're saying about it's him in you working it out willing and doing causing causing you to have the desire and also causing you to do it and it reminds me of john chapter 8 where he's talking to the Pharisees, and he says that you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth is Christ in you. And he says, they said, we have not been slaves to anyone. We are Abraham's seed. And he says, if, if Abraham was your father, you would accept me and love me, so to speak. But he said, you do not know me, But he said, you will know the truth because the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. And that's what Paul is talking about. The truth is not a doctrine. The truth is actually a person. And you will experience that person and that person will set you free. And it's free from yourself and your sin nature or your old man or your old self or your flesh, all meaning the same thing. He's saying that truth which is a person which is Christ in you the hope of glory will actually be at work in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure and in willing and doing that and you experiencing it you become free from your old self and you become he whom the Lord has set free is free indeed And the Pharisees argued with him and said, we've never been slaves to anyone. And he says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin or the slave to that sin nature. Then he goes on to the next chapter where there's a man that was born blind. And the Pharisees and actually his disciples say to Jesus, who sinned this, this man or his parents that he should be born blind? and jesus says to them and corrects them and he says neither he was born blind for the glory of god and then his eyes are open and he sees and he the young man is an outcast in that society because he's born blind and because he's born blind they Everyone sees a cause and effect relationship to his blindness to sin. Because he sinned, he's born blind. Or because his parents sinned, he's become born blind. So therefore, he deserves to be blind. He deserves to be ostracized from the community. And so they go get the guy. Well, first they get his parents, and they were scared to actually say anything to confront the Pharisees. So they said, ask him. He's of age. And he gives his answer, and he says, I don't know. But I, was, I do know this, I was blind and now I see. And he tells them that what, what Jesus did, and the Pharisees keep questioning because they don't believe that Jesus can set this guy free of his blindness. And so Jesus says something very amazing to them. He says, they, they say, are we blind too? They say this to Jesus, as Pharisees say, are we blind too? And Jesus says, because you say you see, your sin remains. But if you say you were blind, you would see. But because you say you see, your sin remains. So what was their sin? Their sin is actually they will remain blind in their flesh in their old self into seeing that it is christ in them that makes them free so their sin is their continual blindness and the blindness is removed when someone says i want to experience christ when someone turns to the lord their eyes are open and, and that's what jesus said i'm the light of the world the cosmos. that one who walks in darkness will see because of him. He's the light. And it says the same thing in Second Corinthians, that God who said, let light shine out of darkness, is the same one who shined in our innermost being, being to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And we have this, Paul says, we with unveiled faces of beholding in a mirror, reflect the same glory from glory to glory, the ever-increasing glory.
0: Well said, Bill. Well said. Well, let me close us in prayer. Father God, thank you for all that you have showed us today through your word, through the written scriptures. We went page by page and looked at those scriptures And those scriptures taught us it wasn't any man's opinion or anybody's thought about the scriptures the scriptures were just talking for themselves and father god i pray that you allow the eyes of everyone who listens to this podcast to see what those scriptures were saying and understand them father because only through you can they understand the scriptures so i Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night, you guys. We love you.